if your system thinking is your lens, your mental models is your um, tint of the lens. Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rikweer Wait. In today's episode, I speak with Lisa Barkley. Lisa studies emerging issues, trends, and alternative future scenarios for business, places, and spaces, and maps paths to adapt in order to thrive and not merely survive, often through simulations and gaming. On the 1st of December 2017, Lisa joined the University of Stellenbosch Business School as a senior lecturer in future studies and systems thinking. Her current research explores gaming, cyberpunk, gentrification, hipster culture, gender, the fourth industrial revolution, and indigenous knowledge systems. Previously, she spent 12 years as lecturer in town and regional planning. She has a PhD in town and regional planning with a focus on the use of scenario-based gaming simulation in higher education. Lisa has seven years experience working for local and provincial government, predominantly in forward planning. She also runs a boutique consultancy called Question Unknown Infinity. And without further ado, here's the interview. Lisa, welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. Thank you very much. So Lisa, I'm really excited to speak to you about applied systems thinking. Um, and to set us off, maybe can you tell us what, what is systems thinking and what are some of the applications uh, using a systems perspective and, and then especially talking, uh, talking to soft systems? Well, systems thinking is basically a lens that you look at um, from small problems to major problems to the entire world. Um, and you look at that through that lens and you see all these parts moving and linking to each other, all being integrated, these subsystems within the bigger systems and how they relate to each other. So the application is um, from you know, should I post something on social media, looking at the biggest systems implication of what you intend to post on Twitter specifically, um, to what car you should buy or um, where you should go on holiday, to what uh, investment you should make. Um, should you, for example, invest in plastics, which, you know, in the movie, The Graduate was uh, a very big thing. Now it's rather frowned upon. So it's all these decisions and understanding the world around it. Now, um, especially soft systems um, came in when they realized as engineers and planners, you know, we design these fantastic things and, you know, people will love it. And, and we see that often in app design now. But then bring in people and their um, habits, their um, needs, and suddenly everything changes. So soft systems was brought in to look at the human angle um, of a product. An ex usual example now, my background is in town and regional planning. Is like you say, okay, there's this major street. Everybody drives too fast for it. Let's put traffic calming measures in it. Um, and then what happens next is the roads adjacent to that road suddenly becomes um, very busy because people rather use the alternative roads because they still want to get to the um, their destination as fast as possible. So these are uh, the importance of bringing in people um, into a decision. Another good example at the moment is we um, many people order through apps through, for example, Uber Eats because there isn't really any alternatives uh, available. You can't yet go to a restaurant here in South Africa because of lockdown, COVID-19. Um, so a lot of people order. Now, um, if you were an app developer, you'd think, you know, everybody would order because it's just more convenient to eat at home than to get dressed, get in a car. You can't drink as much as you want to. But why do we go to restaurants? Um, it's that human soft systems. It's like that's where you want to meet people. It's nice to dress up and go and eat out. And we are social animals. So we want to be where other people are and have the sense of community um, that people still want to go into a brick and mortar and eat out or a brick and mortar and buy a book than doing something online. 
So, so from from what you've said, it's it, I take it it's it's a lens of looking at the world and understanding the world. But then something else that stood out for me is specifically then it's it's a tool for decision making. Um, and then I think some something else is to to think about the unintended consequences consequences which you've mentioned now with with the road and the speed bumps as an example. Trying to think what are the possible unintended consequences, and then obviously it it's linked to to the human element, the social dynamic. Um, and, and, and it's something else I've also read is, uh, is around digital transformation. We um, People typically think it's about technology, but it's actually more about the people and, and looking at apps and the design and, and all of that. So that's that's quite interesting. Um, th then linked to this and, and the idea of, of, of decision-making, Lisa, what, what's the role of having a better awareness of our mental models and then obviously also our assumptions um, to being uh, for being an effective uh, systems thinker? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to use um, the example of remote work. Um, now, most of the world has been pushed into remote work by force. Um, and now you're going to see the, you know, the introverts, people like me, for example, I love doing remote work. Um, you know, um, you can sit here, you can smell your own coffee. You don't have to smell office smells or be, you know, forced to sit in a too cold office. Uh, you don't have to drive anywhere. The extroverts are not stealing your energy. So we love it. We just want to keep on doing that. And then, of course, you have the extroverts and, um, you know, people that's got uncomfortable housing um, situations. They want to be in an office. They want to go and have cake together, um, have face-to-face -face meetings, as they call it. So now and are we going to see that um, when lockdown ends is this fight between the extroverts and the introverts of should we work remotely um, uh, from now on and we I've already seen in Europe and America where a lot of companies have decided to actually do remote work um, get rid of their offices or completely change their offices um, to just have the odd occasion where everybody come in for a meeting maybe once a week. So um, that is an example of where that's going to completely change, um, where we're going to see people fighting with each other um, because they they have this um, not only a world view, but it's also very entrenched in how they live, how they experience the world. Um, so that's an example of where people they were completely different mental models will have to actually agree on how uh, we're going to go forward in a, the the post lockdown office environment and office life. Mm. And I think it's important for decision makers to be aware of exactly this. Um, for example, if a manager prefers going to the office and having his staff at office, all of his staff might not, you know, have that same mental model. Um, and on a lighter note, I think next to smelling my own coffee, I think the other plus at, of working from home is I don't have to battle about the aircon being too cold or too warm. Absolutely. Yes, that's a big one. <laughs> Um, Lisa, then how can we, when we talk about systems thinking, how can we attempt to define a system? You know, what what what, what would a system typically entail? Um, and then could you please also elaborate on the, this distinction between a complicated system and a system that is complex? Well, the system is basically seen as these, um, as an organism um, that consists out of parts um, that link to each other, that has a certain behavior, that move together, they impact on each other. 
um, and they fit into each other. And then you have the system boundaries. Without that boundary, um, there's not that many links anymore, um, not that many interaction anymore. And a system tend to have a specific behavior because of this interaction between the parts. Now, a complicated uh, system is something we can model or map. Um, if there's a problem that is complicated within that system, associated with the system, it's easy to understand. You just have to sit down and actually think about, okay, this part interact like this. Okay, yes, it's a we can solve it. Um, where a complex um, system often surprises you. There's elements or parts of it that um, we can't pin down. We're not so sure what's going on there. Um, and we can only create a model of an aspect of it um, that we can then study and say, okay, if this happened, then this might happen as well. Um, so um, it's not yet to the level of chaos where nothing is known. Um, then, of course, the difference between complicated and complex is, is often perception. And, um, you know, we, if you are a systems analyst, also, I think we have a lot of people at the University of Stellenbosch that works with in complex systems. And they will say, you know, almost everything can be broken down or can be understood. You have the right model um, for it, where other people say even what we perceive as complicated is actually complex. So there isn't that um, well-defined border between the two. Yeah, and, and I think you've, you've touched on perception. I think that is so important. Um, and then linking back to mental models as well, you know, your, your perception of something has a massive influence. Um, and, and then you mentioned the, the boundary uh, boundaries of, of a system. And I think that's now linked to my next question. I want to ask you around the key tools and visual aids that system thinkers use. And I, I guess I think you touched on the idea of trying to model, model a system to um, not to say that we can you know, replicate it, but to try and be to understand it. Um, could you tell us a bit more, what are the, some of those, you know, considerations and tools when you're trying to understand um, a system? Yes, the only way we can truly understand and even play with a system is to create a model of it. Now, a rudimentary model is, for example, a flow diagram or a systems map, um, or alternatively, it's also called a rich picture, where you basically just draw illustrations of the nodes and the links between them. Um, and then, of course, you can change that into a causal loop diagram where you say, okay, we have these two nodes. What's the relationship between them? If this one has a certain action, how does the other one react? And then feedback to the action that was taken, you build on that. Um, and then, of course, you end up with very sophisticated computer simulations and modeling as well, um, and the software way. And then you have um, corporate type uh, models and tools, for example, the iceberg model that you actually decide, okay, um, what's the event we're seeing? For example, um, that's people that insist on doing remote work. Um, they rather don't want to come into the office. And then you go through the process of, you know, what's this trend? Why is this trend now? Um, and then the mental model would be, it's more comfortable at home. They don't like traveling. It's too unsafe to travel. Um, and uh, the, the imperative of freedom, especially for knowledge workers, is going to be a massive change um, throughout so many systems because now let's look at um, if you're a tie maker or you make uh, manufacture suits um, the more people are going to work remotely um, you know how many meetings have you been in for example during lockdown where somebody had a tie I had one um, the others 
it's, yeah. So, uh, you know, why would you manufacture tie or uncomfortable shoes? You know, that's the, the one thing um, we actually had a lot of jokes and you've seen a lot of memes about it is where women say, oh, we dress up for ourselves and we put makeup on for ourselves. And then during lockdown, people ask, so where's that narrative now? You know, if you really put on high heels for yourself, have you had high heels on the past three months, uh, wherever you are in the world? So, um, you know, a lot of these things, and especially products that have this corporate support, the corporate lifestyle. Um, in the town planning environment, we're already looking at um, spaces, office spaces. You know, a lot of new office blocks coming coming up and, and you know, who's going to use them? if there is a trend um, that has uh, towards more remote work. So that's basically how we model um, these events and how we then say, okay, um, if we have this as a mental model of more comfort, how is that going to change our product line, uh, what we focus on? So that's why these tools is very fit for purpose. Um, do you want to look at the mental model? Do you just want to get a picture of the entire system? So then you just do a general systems map. Do you want to look at the cause and effect within a system? So these uh, there's about 1,500 different models, but there's a couple of one, uh, ones that we um, generally apply, especially in the business environment. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's some great examples. And I think yeah, some of the elements that stood out again is the idea of looking at the relationships within a system and in those feedback loops. And that links, links back again to the possible unintended consequences we touched on earlier. Um, and, and I like your example about the suit. Um, I also prefer wearing you know, a nice jacket or whatever going to a meeting. Uh, but but really that need is kind of dissolved at the moment. So it will be interesting to apply this type of thinking if you if you're someone in that industry, um, to look at what what is going to happen. Um, and then it also links to something that we did in your class around um, you know circular fashion and, and sustainable fashion. What's the f- uh, future of the broader fashion industry? Um, so so those are some things to think about. Um, Lisa, then moving on, we were talking about applied systems thinking, and, and to me that kind of highlights the importance of thinking practically and, and kind of exercising your mind's ability to think in systems. This is not, you know, a, a history list of facts that you can memorize in, in trying to think about systems. Um, it, it seems to me it's really a very much an applied practical skill that you need to exercise and train. What, what advice would you give our listeners that want to develop their own ability to think in terms of this lens of, of systems? Yes, the, the the most important thing to understand around systems is that it's a habit. Um, like any habit formation, like remembering to drink eight glasses of water or exercise every 10 minutes or, um, or 10 minutes um, every two hours that you sit down. So all these things are habits. And the same with systems thinking. Because it's, it's really um, takes certain brain muscles that we haven't exercised in a very long time, that it has to become a habit that you sit down. Okay, I take a specific problem. Um, like, for example, where, we sh- where should I go on holiday? And then you look at, you know, have there been recent terror, terror attacks? Um, do I like hot or cold? Um, do I like sand? Um, so it's basically, it starts simple, like, you know, where should I go on holiday? Um, and then you basically just start doing that. Sit at a coffee shop and look at people and say, you know, what role do they play in the system around me? Um, when you 
react to something specific on social media or something offends you. Um, sit back and think, why is somebody offending me right now? Um, you know, what's happening? And then just look at that from a bigger perspective. What's my mental model? Um, what's all these things that link together that made me think this way? Um, and how that person can think this, uh, a different way? And what's all these things that link um, to, to um, had to link up to inform how they think about the world so it is a habit that has to be practiced you know a lot of people say let's you know you have to in the morning you drink water you do meditation then it's a mindfulness and then to gratitude journal and you know maybe have a systems map um which is basically just a, a flow um a mind map of uh, a specific system and um, you can do that and as people get more used to thinking about all these nodes and links that can come together um, again from what car you should buy an example um, for example is uh, a certain social media site which basically gathers information and then they sell that um, not the information but the tools around it that they develop for example facial recognition or recognition of keywords and they sell that for example to china and china is at the moment using that to um, allegedly oppress a specific um, ethnic um, minority. So, um, you know, what's the consequences of your use of certain uh, media tools or certain products? Um, who do they invest in? Where does the money go? And the more you realize that you have agency as a person, um, for example, in the zero waste movement, just not supporting um, wasteful practices, the more um, you can change your environment. But for, in order for that to happen, you have to get into this habit of thinking, oh, what is that? how does that link to the next thing, to the next thing? Where does every product I use come from? And um, how do they, that people that is part of that spend their money? Because we're in such an easy habit of saying, oh, corporate should or government should. Well, we are government. Um, corporate and big business won't exist if we don't support them. So it's all these things that we have to start seeing, seeing this bigger picture and our role in it. No, that that's really good. I, I think, again, what stood out for me, you put it very in a, in a good way, talking uh, in terms of habits, and that this is a habit that you need to develop. And obviously, there's a lot of literature around habits. Um, and it takes time to develop a habit and, and to unlearn bad habits. So, um, that's definitely interesting. And I think the other thing is also, it, it's sometimes, I think, easy to fall into the default thinking of thinking in a linear way. And this is something that forces you to say, no, it's not everything, not just this linear little nice um, you know, timeline that we can draw. You need to think outside of that. Um, and, and the other thing is, uh, as you were speaking, um, around the, the internet is, for example, um, website policies and terms and conditions and cookie policies and we, when you access a site, you need to accept. You know, how, how often do we actually read all the nitty-gritty? Um, so, so that's something interesting in that space as well. Um, Lisa, then one of the courses that, that you teach at USB is around applied systems thinking, specifically for the uh, Future Studies program. And I know that you're looking at incorporating design thinking into that course, um, potentially from next year. Could you tell us a bit more, what, what is the link around design thinking and, and systems thinking? How can these two areas be complementary? And uh, yeah, give us a bit, of, bit more background, please. 
Yes. Well, they actually started um, or restarted uh, as a, a focus, especially in the business environment, at the same time, but with different focus areas. Um, actually, both of them as well, and the use of it, um, it was basically originated a lot in engineering. Um, and the, where systems thinking is, how does all these things link together? It's this very divergent look at the world and coming up with what's the actual right problem, where your design thinking then can focus a lot more on user um, focus to then um, come up with a specific pro uh, project or a specific product. So they in intertwine. A lot of times design thinking is put in front of um, systems thinking or they get um, flattened into each other or systems thinking happens first. It's like, okay, let's do a systems map. What's the problems in the organization? What's the outside problems um, and then you start putting them together and um, then okay this is a specific product say that we have to develop um, and or, or stop developing or have to change for example again ties um, which is something that we've inherited it used to be a bip as far as I understand from a fashion perspective which then um, eventually just became a tie and now it's a fashion accessory that makes no sense. So you're going to start looking at that and you know, how should that be developed further? Should it be a thing? And what? how can we change that um, specific product to actually work for your T-shirt wearing um, tech startup uh, group or people that work from home? So, you know, you mesh these two and uh, there isn't at this moment a blueprint of where which one should be. The reason why I'm incorporating the two is basically because of demand. Um, every time I start it, uh, with a class or even a talk, it's one of the first things come up is what's the difference between the two. And um, so a lot has been written informally, not so much formally in the, the formal books or formal academic um, press, but you know, what's this intersection between the two? Uh, where does the one and the other one start? There's a lot of speculative literature on Medium and LinkedIn of um, how the two can be combined and used together. So that's uh, what we're going to explore next year and just have um, people come, that is specialists in design thinking, just come in and do a quick um, explanation session. Again, it is similar to systems thinking. It is a lens, um, but also a practice. And um, so we're going to give a hint of what it is, but to actually become more versed in design thinking, people will actually have to go for a design thinking course. Mm. No, that, that's awesome. Um, Lisa, then something else of interest to me as well is that you're writing a, a book around, you know, this linkage and synergies between, not between systems thinking and then uh, future studies. Um, as this um, applied system thinking is one of the courses in that program. Um, can you tell us more about this book um, and the link then between these two fields? Yes. Um, so my background is in town and regional planning, but uh, with a specific focus on forward planning. So uh, we, for example, in forward planning use, I would say, 85% of the same methodologies as future studies. Um, but those methodologies um, only make 45% of of your forward um, planning uh, methodologies because uh, in forward planning, a lot of the methodologies are environmental as well as spatial. So the book is going to touch on that intersection, looking at systems thinking um, within that broader futures and forward planning context, but um, 
also why it's so important not to immediately jump to scenarios, for example, but first to look at the system. And also often, um, and that's what systems help, is what's the real problem? So there isn't really a recent book combining those fields, um, especially in systems thinking in the business environment, in the um, organizational environment, within the African context. Um, a lot of your system thinking books is immensely theoretical. Um, they don't, for example, bring in indigenous knowledge systems, which is something I've been looking at the past 20 years, um, how that can be integrated within our understanding of systems, our understanding of um how development should take place. So that's basically what the book is going to focus on is this um, perspective. Now, systems thinking is a major perspective in both future studies and forward um, planning uh, because it is a perspective that you bounce off from. Now, some people actually, uh, some of your, your theorists in future studies are saying, well, it's one of the foundational um, uh, springboards um, in understanding futures uh, methodologies. So um, it's like uh, if you don't look at the wider impact and all everything that could play a role in solving a specific problem, um, then you are going to not be as accurate in your scenario planning, as accurate in your forward planning, because you're going to be blindsided um, because of this unintended consequences that you have to spend a bit of time on contemplating. So your systems thinking, again, is a perspective that is becoming more and more fundamental in understanding the world especially because we've messed up as much as we have in certain societal situations um, and specifically in the environment. And um, because of the fact that we are, we focus on certain things like, for example, demographics. Um, you know, there was a, a certain time that the world went through immense demographic obsessions. Um, and unfortunately, as big data is becoming a thing, um, you know, people are moving again towards looking at st statistics um, as this fundamental uh, foundation that you make base your decisions upon. Um, and, um, you know, that's one of my favorite uh, you know, ways of looking at this is, you know, you've got two um, rich men in there, uh, you know, that's older than 65. They have massive um, housing estates or estates in um, uh, the rural areas of Britain, um, you know, they love tea. Um, so statistically, they look the same, but the one is Prince Charles and the other one is Ozzy Osbourne. So we statistics give you a, a specific lens, um, looking at something from a systems perspective, give you a much wider lens, especially if you bring the soft human um, parts uh, of, of thinking into your analysis. Yeah, this might sound uh, cliche, but it's almost like uh, the devil is in the detail. Um, the two might look the same, but it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. Lisa, then something else that you work with uh, is around gaming simulation and, and, and especially with corporates and engaging clients and um, around game theory. Could you tell us a bit more of the work that you do in that space? Yes, um, my PhD is in the use of gaming simulation and higher education. And um, I found that people, for example, met metaphors and a lot of these things, people just really struggle to understand metaphors and abstract and theory and then translating that into something more practical. So it's almost by 
default working in rural areas as well as then lecturing, that I found that if you translate a complex situation um, into a um, gaming simulation, that it's so much easier to illustrate and to actually have people then engage with it on an almost more visceral level. Now, I do that. I've actually studied different ways of doing that. For example, interesting enough, um, digital games or digital media um, is not nearly as successful as um, role-playing games that you play within a, a class or group setting, especially if you give people then character cards, which is based on mental models of other role players and other players. And this is where your game theory comes in. It's the, your game theory is, is basically understanding or um, how other players in a specific game plays and how that impacts on you playing the game. Um, so that actually game theory studies that and then in turn inform how you design these games. Now, of course, so the narrative plays a role and I found that that's so much more successful um, than to uh, explain a situation or why people make certain decisions. The one that I, for example, designed and I've used it a couple of times in the government setting is why do people um, prefer living in housing estates outside the urban edge? So here in um, the, uh, the Western Cape, we see that a lot. We drive in this almost this pimple of a housing estate on a hill in the middle of a wine farm. It's like, you know, it breaks up the, the flow of nature, it breaks up the, suddenly they want certain services delivered to them. And then the planners and the decision makers and governments are like, but why do people want that? So I've designed a, a game on that. And then I, um, I have them play in certain governmental se settings as well as in my classes, when I still taught town original planning, I have them play a game. And at the end of it, oh, I see. Because eventually when they're a certain character, they're the ones making that decision. And afterwards they realize what's the policy implications. So gaming simulation is great uh, because you, you bring in this wider system approach. Um, it's great for scenario testing. You know, there's a specific scenario planning methodology, um, but it's not often tested. Um, and, you know, if you look at the literature around scenarios and after a futurist has done a scenario for organization, you know, they drop and go, what happens? Um, uh, people often don't understand it. And that's, again, why, I, you know, I'm, I don't really work with metaphors. Um, I rather work with gaming simulation because metaphors is, is also very specific on your mental model. You have to understand the context very well and be part of that um, to understand it. So it's so much easier then to actually um, put a certain scenario um, in a role playing with all the different actors and when will they collaborate? When will they compete? Um, you know, what's the enemy within collaboration, for example, where collaboration often ends with a stalemate um, and not necessarily for the greater good. So that's why if you start mixing systems, futures, forward planning and gaming simulation and game theory, and you mix it up and then it really gives you this more um, visceral experience that people have that help them to understand the process better and what should happen next. Awesome. So I, I think what stood out for me there is, again, I think you're helping people to experience this, this um, issue. Um, it makes it relatable to people. It's very, again, it links to the application. It almost puts you um, in someone else's shoe, shoes again, uh, you know, explaining someone else's mental model. So I think, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. 
Um, and I think, it, it, you know, that, that type of experience is going to stick with someone much more than you're trying to read something and, and absorb it in that fashion. Um, then lastly, Lisa, um, I know you, you're a big reader and, and you, you work in many different aspects and very, you know, in, in cool topics. Um, what are some of the books? Let, let, me, let me try and um, rein myself back in as well. And, and let's say in terms of what we've spoken about today, in terms of applied thinking, um, what are some of the books and resources um, that you would recommend for someone or the listeners that want to kind of just get a better sense of this and, and broaden their own knowledge? Okay. Well, hopefully the first one is mine when it comes out, because that would be more practical. But um, apart from that, Peter Senge, The Fifth Discipline, that was published in 1990. That is um, definitely, it's a really good book. It looks at um, how an organization can become a learning organization to constantly check themselves, constantly look at their mental models and with and their reaction within the system and how that can be improved. So that's definitely, if you read one book in systems, it's should be the fifth discipline. And then one that's a bit more technical, um, that is Donatella or Dunella Meadows, Thinking in Systems, which came out in 2008. So Dunella Meadows, Thinking in Systems, is the second book that I would also say, if you want to know more, um, is, is a really good book. The others are a bit more technical, a very, so there's um, so many available on Kindle, there's so many available in bookstores and the libraries, but these are definitely the best to, to give you a broader understanding of, of the topic um, of systems and how organizations and the environment and people then operate within that. No, that, that sounds like a great start. Is there uh, any timeline on, on when your book might, might become available? Unfortunately, um, due to COVID-19 and lockdown, I had to redesign many of my classes and many of my research projects had to move around. So my timeline is um, out of whack at the moment as well. Okay. No, but but uh, once it does come out, I'd be happy to share that I think um, uh, readers, uh, listeners will, will, will be interested to, to follow up on that. So thank you for that. Um, and, and, and Lisa, thanks again. It's been a great pleasure speaking to you. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will now also start thinking as, as from all the many examples you gave, um, start trying to think on a daily basis and trying to, to try to develop a habit of thinking in, in systems. So, so thanks again. It was great speaking to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.